Father God, we love you. God, we're here because you are good and we've come to worship you. We've come to tell you that you are the greatest thing in all of creation and we get on our knees this morning to praise you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you haven't left us clueless down here, but God, you've written a love letter to us. God, with the information that we need for truth and for life, and God, we bless you for it. We thank you that we get to open it up this morning and hear what you have to say to us. Will you bless that time? God, will you bless the words that come out of my mouth this morning, that they be only yours, that we hear from the God of creation this morning and hear from your wisdom and your wisdom alone. God, I pray for our public school systems. I pray for all of our schools and our students and our teachers and our faculty. God, will you bless them? I know it's the summer, but God, is there are plans being made for this coming year? And as people are doing their thing, getting ready for the next school year, God, we ask now in anticipation of the amazing things that you're going to do this year. God, we ask you that you invade the school systems, that you win teachers and students over for the gospel, that students wouldn't be able to walk down a hallway on Merritt Island or Brevard County without hearing another student proclaim how good you are, Jesus. That's what we ask for. We're not ashamed to ask big asks because we know you can do it. We love you, Lord. We pray that you direct our time this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as many of you know, it comes to that point in your life once in a while where you realize I have to start eating healthier and I have to start doing some exercise. And uh, I was, this was a little while back, I got to that point and I was like, I need to start running. And so I took, I took my time, got on the rice running, you know, attire so I'd look like I was doing the, the thing I was trying to do and felt a little more professional at it and I got my good shoes on and trying to get myself hyped up, like dreading every second of it, but like, no, no, really, Rob, this is going to be good. You're going to love this. Lying to myself a little bit. I don't know if that's a sin or not, but and so I, I was out, I was getting ready and I have this little tradition where before and after my run, I would go out in my driveway. I have a nice like community that has really nice sidewalks I can run on. So I would go out and sit in my driveway by the sidewalk and get ready and I talk to myself talk myself off the cliff a little bit, like, you could do this, you could do this, Rob, don't give up, and I'd sit down in my driveway, and I'd do my stretches, and get ready, you know, really professional-like, and lay back, stretch out, get a really good stretch, I didn't want to pull anything before I went out to run, because then that would mess up the whole thing, and then I'd have to just stop, so I went out, and I stretched, and I got up, and I started doing my run, as I'm out there, just dragging myself down the sidewalk, turning bright red in the hot sun, and breathing, This lady in my neighborhood, an older lady, came by on her bicycle, and she had two little, like, chihuahua-looking dogs in the basket on the front of her bike, just, you know, looking at me, and she's going, cring, 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 you know, the little bell on the front of the bike, and I'm like, that's the most annoying thing right now, (laughs) and I'm trying to be friendly, and like, ah, Jesus loves you, and I'm like, ah, and she drives by, and I'm still running, and it's a small little circuit that I'm running, so this lady's moving. I mean, she's cranking on that bike, man. So she comes around again, bring, bring, little dogs. <laughs> and I'm like, woman, you know, like, find a different route. You know, this one's mine. Three, four, five, every single time this lady goes around. I mean, she's just cranking out the, the, the laps, and she's just ringing at me every single time. I want to grab one of her little dogs and just kind of, but I, I didn't do it. I'm just, I, I get grumpy when I diet, so forgive me. <laughs> this lady keeps going by 
So finally, I'm done with my part. I'm like, okay, good. I did my laps, my watch beeps. I go back, I get in my driveway, do my final, you know, ending stretches, and I'm doing my stretches, and lay back, get a really good stretch, and all of a sudden, here, cring, 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 there it is again. But this time, it's a little different. I look up, and this lady jumps off her bike. Her little dogs go flying in the grass, and she comes running over to me, and she pulls out a whistle. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, what just happened to this woman? Like, is she trying to give me a heart attack? Like, does she know what's going on right now? She thought I had had a heart attack. (laughs) I'm just just laying in the driveway. (laughs) I mean, I can't blame her. (laughs) But she totally, totally misread the situation as she looked at what was going on. She didn't see what was actually happening. And today's passage, today's passage, we're going to see a similar thing. Uh, We're going to look at 1 Samuel, if you'll open there with me, 1 Samuel chapter 3. And we're going to encounter the story of Eli and Samuel. And Eli has a similar situation here. Where he should know what's going on. Like he's looking at something where God is clearly speaking and he's the priest, the high priest of Israel. And at this time, he should recognize when it's the voice of God speaking. But he totally misreads the situation. He totally misreads it and he messes up this thing. And we're going to see, we're going to learn a few parenting lessons from Eli this morning as we look at 1 Samuel chapter 3. As we talk about parenting, it sometimes we have this automatic thing. We, meaning you, because I'm not a parent. Um, <laughs> but sometimes I've noticed that parents get this automatic thing that happens in their heart the second we talk about this topic. And I want to set you at ease this morning. If you're a parent and you're thinking through every choice, every decision, every action of your parenting, things that your children have or haven't done, and you start to automatically critique yourself. Can I put you at ease and tell you don't? That's not what this is about this morning. I don't want you to look in the past and and say, did I do a good job? Am I doing a good job? Here's what I want us to do this morning. Let the guilt be taken away of any type of failure you may have had. Anything your children might be going through. Would you let Jesus just take the brokenness because that's what he's good at and take all of that and restore it? Amen. Will you let him make it brand new because that's what the gospel's about. It's not about looking in the past and feeling guilty. It's about saying, I'm a sinner, but I have a savior who promises to restore all of it. And that's what we're about this morning. So as we look at this story, can I free you from those feelings? And can I ask you instead just to be asking God, show me what it is you'd have me do from here. What does this thing look like as the Holy Spirit invades these relationships with me and my children from here? And you're like, well, I'm not, a, I'm not a parent, Rob. Or maybe my kids are already grown and moved out. You're not off the hook. Remember, I'm not a parent either yet. We're not off the hook. Because the Bible is clear that we should be taking people into our lives and adopting them into our lives to do these same things. You see, parents are disciple makers. God's just blessed you by putting them right in your house. Right? Right there. At three o'clock in the morning, crying when you're trying to sleep, throwing up on your shoulder. Like, he's blessed you with that, right? Yeah, good job. So, here's, here's the deal though. Even if you haven't been blessed in that way, or even if that's just not how God has, has prepared your life, you're not off the hook. 
Because God's called all of us to be disciple makers. And so these truths and principles apply to all of us. Every person sitting here today, as you're adopting people into your life, to pour Jesus into them, to show them some of these truths we're about to learn. So hopefully you're there by now. 1 Samuel chapter 3. Will you read along with me? It says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel and he said, here I am, and ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I didn't call. Lie down again. So he went and lie down. And the Lord called Samuel again, called again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I didn't call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which two ears of everyone who hears it will tangle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever. For the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, and he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Don't hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Here we have the story of Samuel who's just a young boy. He's said to have only been about 12 years old. And he comes from an interesting place. His mother Hannah couldn't have children. And begging God over and over, begging God, Lord, give me a child. She got to the point where she was kneeling before God and said, Lord, if you give me a child, I will give him up to you and to your service and to ministry. And sure enough, God heard her. And he answered her prayer with this boy, this this young baby Samuel. And she did just that. 
She honored her promise and took Samuel and brought him to the temple to enter in and be trained as the next high priest of Israel. Well, stop for just a second because that's a whole mouthful to just scoot by. This woman couldn't have a child. She finally, finally is given a child. And then she takes that baby in her hands. She wraps him up nice and tight. She looks him in the face and kisses him on the forehead as she hands him over to the temple. Can you imagine? It doesn't even take someone who has kids to be able to put themselves in that situation and imagine the heartache she must have felt as she handed that baby over. What an incredible sacrifice. But I believe it's more than that. I believe it's an incredible faith. The faith of a mother that says, God, you know what's best. God, I trust my only child that I've been waiting so long for in your hands. Are you already doing it? Are you already imagining your child? Are you already thinking about how hard and difficult that would be for you to take your baby and hand your child over and say, raise him? It's a difficult thing. Parenting tip 101 from the Bible, trust God with everything. Amen. And that includes your children. Believe that God's plans are better for your child than your plans are for your child. God will raise up a better person than any college in this land. God's plans are best. Do you believe that? So here we have this awesome, awesome faith of Hannah saying, Lord, take him. He's yours. And then we, we see, 12 years old, here he is. He's been raised by Eli during this time. And it says that he was ministering to the Lord, already training as a priest in the temple in the presence of Eli. Well, Eli already had sons. Samuel wasn't Eli's actual son, but he wasn't just training him as a priest. He was raising this child as if it were his own, adopted into his life. And here's Eli raising Samuel. And it says that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. We got a problem going on in Israel. And it started with Eli. You see, Israel at this time, they weren't, they weren't, Loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They were actually loving the passions of their flesh. The Israel at this time was a dark place and they were seeking after their own desires. And it says that they were far from God. And during that time that they were far from God, their own priest wasn't hearing God speak. Eli wasn't getting visions. He wasn't hearing God's commands. He wasn't in deep communion with their God, their creator. Because Eli's own heart, we'll see in a moment, wasn't right with God. So they weren't in tune with him. They were looking at a situation. They were totally misinterpreting it. It says in verse 2, at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he couldn't see, was lying down in his own place. There's this parallel here of what's happening between his actual vision of his eyes and his vision of seeing the Lord. We're seeing the symbolism that Eli was getting far from God and he wasn't able to see the things that God had for him. 
It says the lamp of God had not yet gone out. So this means it was nighttime. So the menorah would have to be kept lit all night long until the, the morning would come. But there's more here. It says that Eli was in his own bed. He was off in his own room. He was far from where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. If you know anything about the Ark of the Covenant, you know that's where the presence of God was. And so here's Eli off in his own bedroom way over here. But it tells us that Samuel is lying right there in the center of the temple right where the Ark of the Covenant was. There's so much symbolism here that the author's trying to get us to understand about the spiritual undertones of this time. See, Eli's way off while Samuel's right here in the temple, right in the presence of God. Eli's going blind to the things of God while, while Samuel's here with bright eyes looking, waiting. And God has reserved in all the darkness of Israel, he's reserved a light. It's still shining. And his name was Samuel because of a mother's faith. Because Hannah chose to obey God and say, Lord, your plans are best. She couldn't see it right there at the moment, right? But God's plans were huge. I encourage you, trust God. Trust God with everything. Trust God with your children. Verse four says, then the Lord called Samuel and said, here I am, and ran to Eli. Stop for a second. You got this, this boy who's like caring for kind of an older mentor who he knows he's kind of his, his eyesight's going. Maybe he couldn't see in the night and he got up and he tripped and he hears this voice. Hey, Samuel. Samuel's like getting up. He's a good kid. He's a humble kid. He, he's willing to serve. And so immediately he hears that voice and he thinks of, of Eli. And so he jumps up and he runs to Eli. What's wrong? Did you fall? Is everything okay? Like what happened? He totally mistakes the voice of God for Eli's voice, and he runs off to see Eli. But there's an interesting thing here, because if God's calling to someone, if God's going to speak to someone in this situation, don't you think it would have been Eli, the high priest of Israel? Don't you think God would have chosen him to give this message to? Instead, he chooses a 12-year-old boy who's just starting out his ministry. God knows best. We have to trust that God knows best. So he says, here I am in the submissive, obedient heart. Here I am, I'll do whatever you want. And he runs to Eli. Here I am for you called me, he says. Just like the prophets of old said, as God called them. And this is what Eli says, I didn't call. Go lie down. Oh, God Almighty just spoke. Do you realize that? God Almighty just verbally yelled out the name of Samuel and the advice that this high priest who's supposed to be close to God and understand the, the voice of God sends him off in the wrong direction. And I just wonder why. I think the text tells us here very clearly that it was because Eli's own heart wasn't attuned to the heart of God. Eli had this problem where he was, he was not correcting his sons who were blaspheming the name of God and living immoral lives. And Eli wouldn't correct them. And so there was something in Eli's heart that was rebellious toward God where he was choosing to worship his own sons in a way where they mattered more to him than God himself. And so he wasn't able to lead his children because his own heart wasn't right. You see where I'm going? 
that as parents or as disciple makers ourselves, we're pouring into the lives of other people, how dare we try to tell someone to, to go in a certain direction if we're not seeking God ourselves? Don't hear me say that everyone here has to be perfect in order to do this. Eli wasn't perfect, and he gets it right in a minute. But you should be seeking God. Amen. And if you're not this morning, can I challenge you? Forget the past. Go to Jesus, drop on your knees, and say, Lord, from this point on, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. I want to hear your voice. I want to be attuned to your voice. I want to hear it when you call me. Heaven forbid I send my children off on the wrong path because my own eyes are set on the world instead of on things above. Heaven forbid. We need to be people that are following God ourselves so that we can turn to others and lead them in the right path. I was recently in a, on a mission trip and I was in this village where the town actually had a tiger in a cage and they chose to keep it right outside of the dormitory where the Americans stayed. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know what the deal was with that. But we would sit outside our room at night, and this one particular night, there's a group of us sitting there, and we're chatting, talking, and we hear this tiger get grumpy. I mean, he gets grumpy. And he's making all sorts of noises I couldn't identify. And I'm like, what's going on? That tiger does not sound happy. And he just goes on and on, and he's making these growling noises. And it was just a perfect scenario, okay? We're sitting in a hut. It's dark. There's a little dirt path between our dormitory, not dirt, but like a little path between our dorm and where this tiger's cage is. And the path is lit by these like little torches on the ground. And so there's these cool shadows and light and it's dark. And it's just the perfect scenario for the couple girls that were with us to get scared out of their minds, right? And so the guys, we're all looking at each other like, yeah, we're going to do this. And so we start telling stories like, what would you do if that tiger got out? Like, do you think you could outrun that tiger? <laughs> My buddy's like, man, I'd be right up that tree. I'd climb the tree. I'd be like, tigers, they can climb trees, bro. Like, little FYI, they can climb trees. And so we're all going through these different scenarios of what we would do. And I'm like, I would die. It's obvious I cannot outrun a tiger. And then he'll be full, and he's not going to eat you. So you guys are good, right? He'd be like, done. Whip his hands off. Go back to his cage. Go to bed. He had a rob coma, you know? So we're going through these scenarios, trying to scare the girls, really, but we're talking how we have these, like, great plans that will work, making the girls think like they had no clue, you know, they were going to die, a tiger was going to eat them, and I was like, you know, if he were to come over here, if he were to actually get out of that cage, you know what would happen, right? And I pointed down the path, and the, the torches are doing their thing, you know, the dancing in the light, and the shadows look so scary, and I'm like, look down that path. I'm like, he would pounce right onto that path, and just before you knew it, he'd just be all over you. Like, you just come right down, right there. And as I'm saying, right there, this enormous shadow of a cat pounces onto the thing, and we jump, and we're, all of us, we're screaming at the top of our lungs, like, ah! My buddy's, like, on the table, like, ah! Like, he would eat you right there, dude. That's a terrible plan. Like, and so we realize, boom, this little teeny cat lands <laughs> in the path. Just the shadows that just do crazy stuff. And man, we had got it wrong. But what hypocrites we looked like, right? Man, I would do this. And I would do that. And I'd climb that tree. And when it came down to it, I'm screaming like a little girl. Ah! You know, like, he's going to eat me. You know, like, total hypocrite. Never would have done what I said I was going to do. And as God's calling us to lead other people closer to Jesus, man, 
Let us not be found with a heart that's not chasing Jesus ourselves. Let's be found in love with our Savior, in tune with the voice of our God, ready to obey the second he calls so that we can teach other people to do the same. We see that in Eli. He needed a dose of that. And so Samuel goes and he lies down. And it says, and the Lord called again Samuel. And what does he do? He gets up again and he runs to Eli. This happens three times. You know why? I mean, this is a good kid. He still needed guidance. You see, there's a big PG-13 right on our lives. Parental guidance advised because God has designed the family unit to be the place where people are primarily discipled and guided And so God's given you this awesome opportunity to take your kids and to disciple them and to lead them closer to Jesus. It has to start in your heart. But are you doing that? Are are you leading your children? Are you bringing people into your life? Like Deuteronomy 6 says, and teaching them to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Eli calls Samuel this time his son. I think it's pretty awesome because he probably thought of Eli as his father. So we're not just talking about a parent to their natural child. We're talking about people in your life. Because there's a lot of people right here that this parenting topic isn't necessarily applying to. Can I turn to you for a second? Can I ask you the way I ask myself this morning? Who are the people in your life that you're parenting spiritually? That you're adopting into your life and you're saying, God, I want them to know you more than anything else in this world. I want them to know you better. I want them to hear your voice and respond. Who are those people in your life? Because you can make an incredible impact in people that aren't even related to you. I was serving in in an orphanage for a few years and there was this group of boys who had come in to the orphanage. They were nothing like the other children. They were really rough. They had grown up in back alleyways. This one particular boy, his name was Lester. And Lester had a terrible upbringing. His mom was a prostitute. So basically just abandoned him. His daddy never knew. He took off immediately. He never knew who his father was. His mom was so addicted to drugs that she wasn't even a variable in his life. So he grew up fending for himself in the back alleyways. And he would steal things. He would steal to eat, steal food, beg people, do whatever he had to do. He would sleep in the alleyways at night and he would find the darkest corners to like kind of hide himself because in the middle of the night, these drunks would stumble out of bars and find him and they would beat him up. As a matter of fact, I had met Lester a couple times in the alleys before he ever showed up at our orphanage. And I saw him with huge gashes in his head, bleeding, face all pounded because that was his life. He'd go to bed every night ready to get up and to run because he didn't know what would happen the next time he opened his eyes. And so he always slept fully dressed with his shoes on, ready to get up and ready to run. So when he came to the orphanage, these boys were a lot rougher than the other kids. And they had to have a lot of special attention. They had a lot of quirks and things going on. And so they were put in this small group of, of children. Every night they would go to bed, their nanny would read to them the Bible and pray with them and and then put him in their beds. And every night, Lester demanded that he kept his shoes on. And he'd get his bed all muddy. And this nanny was just going crazy. She's like, I can't get him to take his shoes off. I'll try to pull him off and he'll scream and try to scratch me and yell at me. And I can't get it. So I just let him sleep with his shoes on. But it's ruining all our sheets. Can you please come talk to him? So I'd start going in there at night and start talking to him. It wasn't helping. So finally she said, just, will you just take a cot and just kind of put it in the corner and stay with them at night just to, to keep an eye on him? And 
So for a couple weeks, I just went in there. I would read the Bible with them. I'd pray, and then I'd put them to bed, and then I'd just stay in my cot and just kind of keep an eye on them throughout the night. And I did this for a couple weeks. Finally, after a few weeks of kind of befriending this group of kids, in the middle of the night, I get bumped, pushed over in my bed. And I looked down, and Lester had climbed up in my bed with me. And I was like, what are you doing? And I felt him kick me, not intentionally, but when he kicked me, I could feel a sock hit me. And I looked down, I was like, bro, where's your shoes? And he looked at me and said, ya no necesito correr. It means I don't have to run anymore. Amen. I don't have to run. In that moment, my life was changed. That was a defining moment for me. Because I realized that I could be an influence in the lives of people that I couldn't even fathom. If I would just be obedient and love people, if I would just be willing to adopt people into my life and say, you actually matter. I want you to know my God. And that boy is a constant reminder as he looked at me, I wasn't his dad. But in the eyes of God, I was serving as someone who had adopted him in love into my life. Will you think through your life? Will you just scan through the faces of the people that you know, the people that you come in contact with, and ask yourself that question? Who are the people God's putting right in front of me so that I can adopt them in and teach them to hear the voice of God? And it might not be your own child. Parents, you got six, seven, eight kids, maybe, I don't know, and they're running around, you're trying to just keep those kids like under control. You're like, what are you talking about, Rob? I can't take one more kid into my family. I don't know, ask God. <laughs> maybe he's calling you to. We need to be people that go to God and say, let me hear your voice. Let me hear your voice, Lord. Eli wasn't getting it with his own kids, though. That's the sad part. He finally gets it with Samuel. He says, go listen to God, right? For the third time, Hey, Samuel, he gets up and he runs to Eli. Now, at this point, if I thought this old dude was like calling me again for the third time, waking me up, I'd be taking his dentures and letting the dog lick him. You know, I'd be taking his like hearing aids and putting like icy hot on it or something. Like, I'd be pretty upset. I'd be like, bro, you woke me up three times already. I'm tired. Go to sleep. But that wasn't Samuel. That wasn't Samuel. Samuel wakes up and he's like, yes, here I am. Again, with this awesome obedience. And finally, finally, Eli gets it. He perceives this has to be the voice of God. He gets it. And so his, his advice isn't, hey, run off the wrong direction. His vice, advice now is, Samuel, lay down. Wait, be still, be quiet, and listen for God's voice. And when you hear him, you obey whatever he says. Man, that's it right there. We need to learn how to parent. That's got to be the heart of it. And so often we get in parenting discussions and people will come to my office and say, man, my kid's doing this, my kid's doing that. It's not so much about correcting the behaviors or the bad choices as it is this right here. Keep pointing them toward listening to God Get the heart of the problem. Jesus has to come in and restore the brokenness before the behavior is going to change. Point them to Jesus so that they listen to God's voice and when he speaks, they respond to him and him only. I know you guys know, like when you walk into Walmart, 
right? And there's always that line of people that are checking out like 10 carts before they finally pick the perfect cart, you know, before they walk down the aisle, like you push the cart. Because you know as well as me, if you pick the wrong cart, right, the whole time you're fighting that cart. Like I'll get one and I'll just run through trying to grab my stuff at Walmart and I'll be moving pretty quick before I realize that cart's kind of like doing its thing and I hit some lady in the backside. I'm like, oh, sorry, sorry, lady. Like, and I'm whacking like the deodorant off the display. Like, because my cart's so janky, it's got the janky tire. You guys know that one, right? And it spins like this, like a reindeer with a broken antler. And you're like, what? And so you've got to pick the right cart. (laughs) But really the solution isn't just to keep pulling that thing on course because it's just going to keep going nuts. The solution is fixing the tire, Get it aligned. We need to get in alignment with our God. We need our kids to be in alignment with our God. The people we're pouring into need to align with God's voice. We need to be ready to hear what God says. And here's the kicker. We need to say, yes, Lord, here I am. We have a country that's so willing to pray and so willing to talk about hearing God all the time, but so slow to say, yes, God, here I am call me to Africa to sell everything I own and go? That's really scary, but you told me to go. You told me to take my child and trust you with everything about my kid's life? It's scary. But yes, God, you called, I will do it. We need to be people that are willing to obey and not just hear and teach our children to do the same. This prophecy that God gives Samuel is about Eli's sons. It's not the, the best news to hear. He's like, oh, you're, gonna be, you're gonna be harshly punished for this because you have just constantly disobeyed and disobeyed and not listened to me. And I love Eli's response. I love his response. He looks back and he says, you know, God knows best. Whatever God says, let it be done, Samuel. What an awesome display of saying, God means more than anything in the entire world, even when it costs me something. Even when there's sacrifice involved, even when there's discipline involved. And I fear that we live in a culture that is so in love with other things. Man, my kids have sports, they can't show up to serve because they gotta go do their sports. And my kid has this test tomorrow and I'm gonna teach my kid by allowing them to skip out on serving Christ to go do this thing and study instead. I'm gonna teach them that, that studying for school and knowledge is more important than God himself. And soccer is more important than God himself. And you, you plug in the blanks there of all the excuses that we tend to have as human beings in this culture that says, oh, it's not that big of a deal if they skip small group or church or the, this opportunity to serve or these things where they're connecting with the body of Christ. They can go next week until next week there's another excuse and another excuse. And before we know it, we're Eli. The high priest of Israel making excuses for his own kids. Don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to be legalistic here. But I am seeing a heart, the heart of Jesus that says, you will connect with my body because it's good for you. And I need to be the most important thing in your life, not soccer, not school, not the college they're gonna go to, not how good of a job they're gonna get, not who they're gonna marry. Jesus demands to be the most important thing to us. You want to be a good parent? Start there. Start there. Make that the most important part of your parenting, that they see you display that Jesus is most important. 
verse 19, the last three verses of this passage, it says, and Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. All Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, that means every piece of this this place, this country, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. Who wouldn't want, whose greatest desire isn't to see their child grow in a thriving relationship with God? But if that's true, won't that change the way we parent? The way we disciple people, the way we interact in other people's lives? Won't it cause us to have different types of choices and value different things and have different priorities than maybe we have right now where we say, if this is true, the way I interact with you is going to look different. Because I want you more than anything else. I want to stand at the gates of heaven and see as I look back, and we got a taste of it this morning, right? We looked back and we saw how awesome some of these testimonies were. Of students who started off saying, I felt lost, but God has changed my life. I'm different today because of Jesus. Let that be the thing we desire most, not just for our kids, but for all those people around us and for ourselves. And it starts by saying, do you hear God's voice? Are you listening? And second, are you ready to go when he calls? Now, in just a minute, our worship band's gonna come back up and they're gonna lead us in a couple songs. And as they do that, can I ask you, don't come to the altar Don't come down this morning during those songs. Here's what I want to ask you to do. Will you stop and at the beginning of that, will you just pray and say, God, speak to me? God, I want to hear your voice. Because I believe that in a room like this, we have people who God has already been talking and talking and talking. And he's saying, Rob, (laughs) hey, Rob, yo, Rob, I'm over here. And I've been running off in all sorts of different directions looking for where that voice is coming from. And maybe this morning God's been like, man, I've been calling you for months, years, and you just haven't run to me yet. And there's some people in the room this morning that need to hear it and recognize that it's God. And I just want you to pray at the beginning of those songs. And during the songs, obviously worship, but will you do something else? Will you listen? Will you listen and say, God, where are you? What are you telling me to do? And then afterwards, Pastor Mark's gonna come up and he's gonna dismiss our service. And the second he dismisses, there's gonna be pastors down here. Here's what I want you to do. If God speaks and he's like, here, I'm calling you. Will you get up? That will be your cue to get up and to come down front and say, God spoke to me this morning. This is what he's calling me to do. Will you pray with me? But I want to make this thing, I want to take this thing before him, lay it at his feet and say, Lord, I hear you. I want to get up out of the bed and I want to run to the voice and say, God, I don't know what it is you're calling me to do this morning, but I hear your voice and I want to know. Can we be a church that says, Lord, I hear your voice. I'll go. Will you bow your heads with me? Dear Heavenly Father, We lay our hearts at your feet. And Lord, we ask you, speak to us. God, tell us what it is you're calling us to do. Let us hear our name clearly shouted by the king of our our hearts and let us respond. 
Give us the courage to stand up out of our seats today and to pray with someone and say, Lord, here I am, send me. Lord, whatever it is you're calling me to do, whether it's serve at VBS, whether it's talk to my neighbor this afternoon, whether it's call up that child who's been estranged from me and find reconciliation, whether it's confess sin before you, God, whatever it might be that you're calling each individual in this room, will you cause us to hear it? Give us ears, God, to hear you and to say, Lord, send me to be willing to obey in obedience. We love you, Father. It's in Jesus' name.